0: to this episode of our podcast mini-series, Getting to Better Together, which is sponsored by the Centre for International Development, Social Entrepreneurship and Leadership at the University of the Sunshine Coast, and supported by Noosa Radio FM 101.3, and I'm your host, Richard Borden. Before proceeding further, I wish to acknowledge the traditional custodians of this land, the Gubbi-Gubbi people, and pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging. I wonder what flashed through your minds as I spoke this last sentence. Were they simply words that were so familiar to you that you merely let them pass unhindered through your consciousness, or did they trigger some thinking or feeling or mental image about the words that they convey? What I mean when I spoke of the word acknowledge, for instance, or the traditional custodians, or even the word land? What word for land do the gubby-gubby people use in their language, and is their meaning of land the same as ours? Actually, When I say the word land, I wonder if you have the same image in your mind of land that I have in mine. What do you understand as land? And does it differ from what I understand? And to make matters even more complicated, I have different meanings of the word that are dependent on what aspect of land I'm talking about. Is it the paddock at the back, or is it the nation as a whole? This land is my land, and this land is your land, as the folk song has it. Of course, communication would be virtually impossible if we paused to reflect on these matters of meaning and language and understanding and mental images every time we said something to someone else. Somehow or another, we seem to muddle through conversations with relative ease once we have reached a certain level of language proficiency. Here are very important factors at work as we converse together, however, that get us beyond the Humpty Dumpty enigma. Whenever I use a word, said he, it means just what I choose it to mean, neither more nor less. How would we be able to converse if we all held to that position? Well, this might all seem too trivial, at least on the one hand. But on the other hand, it might seem too academic to be a- of any consequence in the real world, yet it is anything but, as anyone who has tried to learn a second language will most certainly have discovered. To help unravel all of this today, I'm delighted to have the opportunity to talk with someone who has a deep understanding of these matters. Dr. Levi Derbidge is a lecturer in world languages at the University of the Sunshine Coast, and has been involved in language education across secondary and tertiary sectors for more than 18 years in both Australia and Japan. His research explores how international mobility, language, contact, and technology and content use intersect, and he's currently authoring a book entitled Language Learning, Social Media, and Study Abroad, Multilingual Experiences of Japanese Adolescents. Welcome, Levi.
1: Thank you very much for that wonderful introduction.
0: Let me start by asking you, what are the most important findings you can identify from your nearly two decades of researching the matter of language? And why should we pay attention to it when we consider the issue of getting to better together?
1: Great question. Great question. Um, when we talk about the most important findings, um, you know, there's different ways we could approach that. Actually, it really depends on, um, kind of what your fundamental understanding of language, which you eloquently talked about at the start of this, uh, this uh, podcast. So. Maybe I could talk about, um, the aspect of language, which has become more and more focused on particularly since the uh, 1990s. It's mm-hmm. become much more, um, much more of a, a an important part of the conversation. And, and that's the idea of language as social action. Uh-huh. And what I mean by that. Is essentially you may you may have heard people talk about things like language as a system, it's like a system of communication, or language as a tool for communication, and those ideas will, will have been very very dominant, I guess um, they're very widespread. Um, they're perhaps linked to um, research that was done around the same time computers were coming okay. coming into being, um, and so people started thinking about the human brain and the human. Um, abilities through that kind of idea of computers. are we a computer? Do we have input, output process it kind of like a computer does? Um, but there's been another whole stream of thought that has uh, has been around even prior to that, which is the idea that language is not a system, it's not a tool, it's actually an action, something we're constantly doing. Um, and it's a, I guess it's a fundamental part of, of what makes us human um, and therefore the ability to do anything together, um, means that we need to use language. In terms
0: of, uh, a crude question, I guess, yes. in terms of other, la- other animals. Yes. It, it is said that some animals have language and we always talk about parrots learning stuff and then sure. the, the deep language of, the, of whales and so on. Sure. Um, sure. What's your perspective on that?
1: Sure. Um, you like know, I'm not an expert in, in animal communication, so I don't want to point too much towards that, but I can say one thing about human communication and that is that One thing that we can do as humans is create new ways and new ideas and new things. So we innovate, constantly innovate the ways that we speak. And and part of what language can do is it's highly productive in that we can combine this kind of set, finite, you know, set of resources, or there could be sounds that we're making, or there could be the written squiggles we put on the page or screen. Um, we can combine it in an almost infinite number of ways mm. to communicate very abstract ideas. So not just concrete things like, you know, there's a there's a bottle here or um, that apple is red, but very abstract things like religion or in politics, the political ideas that we're constantly um, discussing. Um, all of these we do through language as well. So we call, essentially calling to be these abstract ideas through language. So, yeah. So I think one of the things that sets us apart is that, that ability to call into being abstract ideas and then the productive sense of being able to combine infinite things together. And then the third point being to create, new, you can see in the pandemic that we just had, we created, a, yes, new, new words and new ideas to discuss things that we hadn't really had before social distance. Mm. talking about COVID, mm. um, those types of words five years ago, if you'd said that to anyone, they wouldn't have known what you were talking about. Or they might have had a diff- social distancing, isn't that, like standing away from someone because you don't like them or something like that? Right, I don't right, know. Right. I don't know. But right. now when we talk about it, everybody understands those concepts at of this in English-speaking world. So um, you can see we keep, we're constantly doing that, creating new ways of talking about things that perhaps are not readily apparent and does language
0: change us as we mature and we become more conscious of the fact that we actually have a language, particularly when we hear another language, which you obviously don't understand?
1: No. Does it change us? Yes, definitely does. Uh, language is a huge part of our identity. Mm-hmm. We are constantly, when we speak to other people, we're constantly using language to kind of say who we want them to see us as. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, so, you know, like, I'm t- speaking to you right now, and I'm, I'm trying to present myself as a knowledgeable academic right. person who has a lot of the uh, – you You're know, succeeding quite
2: well. Oh, uh, well, so. trying, <laughs> yes, but
1: but I'm, I'm speaking in a certain way to create that impression. Yeah. Um, if, for example, I was suddenly at home, um, I needed to, uh, someone to come around and do some work on the house, I would speak in a very different – you know, potentially because um, I wouldn't be able to put on a, an academic persona in that particular yeah. situation, yeah. you know, I would want to put on – a little bit more of a localized kind of like you know um, I need some help with uh, hey, excuse me mate, can you uh, can you come and have a look at this uh, you know <laughs> fence down the back I think it's come down a bit um, I need to get prepared. you know switching right. I'd immediately switch to another register of speaking to yeah. do that yeah. so I'm kind of presenting uh, an identity
2: mm. constantly you know
1: and you do it even with people in different contexts so if we were to go out for a drink after this mm-hmm. we might speak in a little bit of a different a bit more relaxed or Informal way mm. with each other as opposed mm. to this setting. And so you said then you say, what about other languages? Well, they, they, once you start moving across cultural and linguistic borders, then we need to present ourselves in different ways. You know, it gets a little bit complex as soon as we dig into it, but yeah, we do need to essentially adopt a new identity or create a, a hybrid type of
2: identity mm. in those spaces. Yes.
0: I often tell the story of when I uh, moved to work in, in Latin America, being able to speak Spanish at that stage, with three young children, really young, six, four, and two. And um, we arrived, and uh, went to, we were in a, in a duplex. And we walked in the duplex, and my kids ran out into the, into the garden, and right next door, there were two little kids roughly the same age, and they waved their arms and said, hola. And my kids did exactly the same thing in response. They didn't just say, hello, they said, hola, and they waved their arms. And I thought, isn't that extraordinary? My children have just learned how to speak a second language.
1: <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. And, and you know, and that's that's the, you know, that reciprocity of like, I'm going to respond to what someone said in the same way that they've said to me, to kind of generate a positive social effect or social feeling between us. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
1: you know, if they'd responded with hello, yeah, it might have been received positively as well, or it might have been received differently. Um, and, and anybody who's traveled overseas or into any, even into a different speaking an area with People who are speaking different or even visited families, you know, who maybe have a different linguistic background Mm. will know that when you move into somebody else's area where you feel like a stranger or an outsider, we often want to try and accommodate to that culture to not stand out and be seen as not everybody, of course, but Mm. a lot of us do, you know, and that's one way of doing it. So the
0: intrigue for me was not just the word, but also the gesture. Ah, you know, you can't say hola without moving your arms. <laughs> and I was watching a, a French guy on television with the sound turned down the other day, and it was obviously French. Your shoulders were moving all the time. You know, this, <laughs> this just has to be the way you speak French.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, and we, we can talk about that idea of like how, you know, a certain cultural milieu or a certain cultural um, context, you know, that there's, it's not just words, it's the whole body. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a lived in, it's becoming something mm-hmm. else. Mm-hmm to essentially uh, communicate and be a member of and participate
0: in
2: that community. Oh.
0: Is that what's captured by the word languaging, the idea that, that language is a sort of dynamic?
1: Yes, I believe so. Yes, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Yes, so yeah, so when we talk about languaging, we're seeing language, as, as I said before, a social action. It's mm-hmm. not something that's independent of us. It's something that we're constantly doing. So we could say using language, but it's still that abstracts it. It makes it sort of a tool. I think. So the word languaging, as you say, Nice um, verb. Yes, it's a nice verb. It's what we're constantly doing. We're constantly even right now, we're languaging with mm. each other. Um and part of that languaging is also that sense of trying to be something as well.
2: Yes.
0: Yeah, I mean that's the, the enigma of Humpty Dumpty, isn't it? That it's there's no conversation. When I say a word, that's speaking. It's yes. not languaging.
2: It's that's not right. creating
1: a connection with you, except that you would then argue with <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I think too, and the the importance of, you know, Languaging and using language. Yeah, if I use. I talk about using language versus languaging, language, language takes a different image in our minds mm-hmm. than using language. So that's mm-hmm. the real important part of language right. as well. Yeah. As you spoke in the, in the introduction about the images that come into our mind, the ideas that it constructs
2: when we speak. Mm.
0: Let me change gear a little bit now. You've spent an enormous amount of time in Japan. You're a fluent Japanese speaker. You're married to a Japanese. Are you in
1: any way Japanese? Well, wow, that's. <laughs> Great question. Great question. Um, I would say I have an identity in Japanese.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: the, the identity of being Japanese in itself is a very complex kind of idea. Um, you know, it's tied up with not only language but ideas of um, descendancy and heritage, of ethnicity, mm-hmm. um, of nationality. Um, and so t- for me to give you a simple answer, um, I would not call myself Japanese. But I would say I have um, a Japanese identity in the sense of the language.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, so I can you know, interact. I use Japanese as my home language. Wow. I, yeah. I, you know, if I go to Japan, I have a lot of Japanese friends and so spend time in those communities. Um, I can recall uh, one instance of um, I took a group of Japanese high school shows was a high school teacher in Japan for some time. Um, I, I brought a uh, a group of Japanese high school students uh, to Melbourne for a uh, study abroad for a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was funny actually uh, when we were returning to Japan, uh, we'd been together for the whole two weeks, and I'd been using Japanese with them the whole time because evidence was in the english that been their only teacher teacher that was with them and we came back to the passport gates to re-enter Japan and I had to tell all the students okay well you go to the Japanese passport section and I need to go over here and go through the, the non-Japanese and they were like oh that's right you're not Japanese <laughs> splendid. yeah yeah so yeah. even though we'd been in Australia because we'd possibly languaging right. Japanese with each other yes yeah, yeah. yeah. so in that sense I think you know you can come to be seen as Japanese but visually of course I'm a white guy you know so um And and I don't have a passport, and so that identity of being Japanese is perhaps contested. Do you dream in Japanese Uh, sometimes? Yes, I do. Yes, I do. When I have time to dream. Now I have small children, I don't get to (laughs) dream that much these days, unfortunately. But yeah, yes, I do. I do, Um, and and, I dream both, you know, cross languages as well.
0: Right. Nice. Have a conversation with yourself in different languages. That'd be fascinating.
1: Yeah, yes, 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 yes. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if if you know, sometimes it's the only uh, any person who is willing to listen to what you've got to say is yourself, right? Mm. Are so, right. <laughs> yeah. are your children bilingual? Ah, you are. They are. Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 they are. Um, they're, they're very determined to make me speak in English to them at the moment. Oh, yeah, yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah. Um, I, I, it's a constant battle where um, I get spoken to by them um, in English and I respond in Japanese. This
0: is interesting phenomenon, isn't it? Yes, yes, yeah. yes.
1: Well, they're, they're surrounded by English here in Australia, cool. so. Um, cool. and, and, you know, they understand I can speak English as well, so they constantly want me to speak. Because it is a little bit more of an effort for them mm-hmm. at the moment mm-hmm. because they're more accustomed to talk. They can talk about a wider range of topics and they can. In English? Yes, yes, to because they've been here for, since 2017. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So right. they took still quite small and they've been here for quite a few years. So, um, you know, all their friends speak. Well, they, will they go, to, go to Japanese school mm-hmm. um, on, on the weekend, but apart from that, all of their friends speak mm-hmm. English constantly. So,
0: to oh. yeah. so the language itself, are there things in Japanese that you really can't, can't translate into English, mm-hmm. but which are really important?
1: Yeah, yeah. There, there, there's this idea that things are untranslatable. And of course, you can always translate a concept, yeah, but yeah. um, in terms of like difficulty of like communicating, I think um, you know sometimes terms like um is a common expression in Japanese uh, that's a lot harder to. Because of it, it takes it takes the place of does something in conversation we don't do in English, and that's why it's hard to communicate. Okay. So. If I'm going to translate, it's like, can you favor me in this, um, I'm, I need you to um, uh, help me with this, or I need your future kind of favor for this thing, but mm-hmm. it's almost a formality in some instances as mm-hmm. well. So, we use it at the end of emails when we're asking people a favor, for example, mm-hmm. we use it when we're meeting people for the first time, for example. Mm-hmm. So that's not something we often do. Yeah. In English we don't normally say um, and we're and I, I ask you to, you know, please favour this relationship So right. it's not something we often do. Yeah. So that in that sense I guess there are those kind of untranslatable things. In that sense, but you know, I think I just translated it. So. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but you know, you flip it around the other way, and in English, we have things like saying bless you after you sneeze, and you don't yeah. say anything after you sneeze in yeah. Japanese, um, yeah. or to anybody. So, in that sense, like, you, how do you translate bless you into Japanese? <laughs> just explain what it does. Right. Like, there's not a there's not a word that's yeah. in the same place, yeah. Yeah.
2: same kind of deal. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I remember the difficulties that the uh, the French got into. I had a favourite to do with uh, the French a while back, and um. Because of, of their concern about preserving French as a language, uh, they were prohibited, seemingly, by almost by a law. It said you know, can't use English words. So they got this ridiculous situation of saying English words with a with a French accent. With the equivalent saying "Good morning, how are you?"
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm not an expert on the, the French context so Yeah, I can't speak but to in that. In but Japanese, yeah. are there words that oh, you yeah. have to use in English? Oh, oh, oh. Yeah. Well, see, the thing is, so just, you know, particularly since the Second World War. America has had a lot of influence yeah, right. um, in Japan. And so um, now there's a lot of language in Japan. I think, yeah, there's a lot of language, always been, just like in English, we're constantly importing language mm-hmm. or, or language moves across those kind of linguistic borders. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I think it's something like 90% of the words recognizable to Japanese as being not Japanese words are actually English words. Mm-hmm. So words like you know, computer yeah. is computer, you know, hacker right. is a hacker. Um, oh, really? Yes, 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 okay. yeah, th- those types of things, um, you know, hamburger.
2: Um, you know, th-
1: those uh, those words that have come from, maybe from American. and, and mm. a lot of words around computing and those technologies, um, but, you know, you have to go back a little bit at medical technology, a lot of German mm. words, because, okay. um, you know, German medical uh, technology was something was imported into Japan, you know, during mm. that period, you know, before the Second World War, okay. so... You go back further, you find a lot of Portuguese work because the Portuguese had a lot of uh, trade contact with right. Japan. So it's really about those relationships yeah. and those words kind of awesome. yeah. who is kind of driving the kind of tech- newer technologies that ha- need language to do yeah. this. But there's, there's a little bit of a movement in Japan, a conservative movement, to have Japanese style words for those concepts, but but one of the interesting things,
0: that I worked in the United States for quite a long time, and I always find it interesting now when I'm corresponding and communicating with my American friends, when I say, how are you doing, compared to how are you going in <laughs> Australia. And that sort of sums up the cultural differences between the two. Where we're fair go and a nice, and easy, relax. In America, it's doing. we have got to keep at it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, and you, you can find a lot of those, especially, as I say, around those are kind of rituals that mm-hmm. we have, those communicative rituals. I think that's a really interesting space to look at um, mm-hmm. and trying to understand what's going on. Um, yeah, so how you're doing versus how you're going. Um, There's a great article, this was um, a a guy called, uh, sorry, a person called Beal, did um, a study on um, a French company in, in Australia, and a lot of the Australian staff um, said, "How was your weekend?" Uh, and that's something we say in Australia. You know, on a mm. Monday morning, "How was your weekend?" Mm. But you're not looking for someone to give a detailed rundown of no, the weekend. No, you're no. just looking for what, what, what would you say? "How was your weekend?" I well, had great, right? Mm. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, that, that kind of response. But the yeah. French would understood it as, "Oh, this person's really interesting." Yeah. So literal, let me give a, literal, it a detailed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> explanation. And then it led to these ideas of the, uh, the Australians perceiving their French co workers as incredibly conceited and mm. self interested. You know, they give us this huge deal. But then the French saw the uh, Australians as being. Um, I guess very insincere. Yes, yeah, dis- dis- because really. yeah, because they'd ask this question and then they'd look <laughs> bored right. and try to get away as soon as they started right. telling. Them. So they so so, was "How are you?" Yeah, don't yeah. answer that. It's <laughs> yeah, so such a really you know those, those kinds of rituals are a really interesting part of that kind of cross-cultural, mm-hmm. intercultural, mm-hmm. interlanguage kind of um, dynamic. So bringing it right back to to our theme, yes. if
0: we are to really get to better by being together. Yes. Um, how do we get over all these seeming hurdles? Do we just, as I suggested, let it all happen and, and muddle through? Or do we work at it?
1: Well, de- we definitely need to work at it. And, um, you know, it depends on the context we're talking about, of mm. course. But, um, we definitely need to work at this. Um, we need to develop a greater kind of, um, understanding intercultural understanding of the way that these things work um, and move away from the ideas that the way we have of doing things is the correct way or the only way Mm -hmm, of doing these mm -hmm. things. And I think that's kind of where we get tripped up a little bit. Right. Um, I think particularly in Australia, and I don't speak to the whole of Australia, but I think there are parts of Australia where a lot of, you know, the people that we meet in a daily, day-to-day basis have very similar backgrounds to us. And yeah. so, we kind of get in a little bubble, so to speak. Yeah. Where, and, and, you know, maybe if we've lived in that bubble for quite a long time. It can seem like that is the main way of doing things. But mm. we definitely need to step outside those kinds of bubbles. If we're going to be getting together, then we need to, you know, step outside. And I think learning language, great way to do that, mm. you know, because mm. suddenly you're confronted with all these different ways of language right. or being in the world. Yeah, exactly. Right? Um and so you're immediately asked to reconsider a lot of those ideas. Like as I said, just even simple things like when you sneeze, saying bless you, like it becomes almost automatic. But yeah. what are we actually doing? Or why is that mm-hmm. do we know why we do that? But mm-hmm. and then what does that say about us and um is that always the norm? You know, is there other ways of doing that kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um and then we can we can take that a step further and can look at, you know, when we start learning a language too. We also become, I guess, a little bit empathetic towards a lot of people who come the other way, yeah. need to, you know, they come to um, in our, our communities and need to find a way to be and participate mm. in our communities, that can be really hard. Mm. Um, and we might not recognize it because we've been doing it since we were children,
0: essentially. Um, so yeah. of the one of the first phrases, I've had to go at a number of different languages at various stages of my life, but one of the first phrases you, you learn is how do you say that in? In their language. Mm-hmm. Don't you? Mm-hmm. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, but you don't actually say what you mean by that. You just simply say, how do you say that? Yes. So really seeking the word
1: rather than the whole notion of the word it's trying to convey. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And, I, you know, I think. Um, if I've understood what you're talking about here correctly, I think that you know there's that dictionary idea.
2: Mm.
1: Of like, yeah, yeah, yeah. A word, you know, has a sudden, immediate translation across another language. Mm. But even if it does, what is the context that it's used yeah, in? Yeah, what are yeah. the other meanings? And you talked about the idea of land at the start. I that was a really kind of great illustration mm. of that. Mm. That point exactly what we are talking about. Mm. Like that idea of land can have so many different connotations. Mm. It depends on the context mm. that it's used, and it depends on the person who's yeah. using it. Yeah. So I think that's a brilliant example.
0: Again, as anyone who's tried to use a phrase book would quickly uh, would learn.
1: <laughs> <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. Great example, great example.
0: This has been fascinating. Thank you so much. I've really enjoyed it. I hope the listeners have too, and I'm sure they have. And I hope you can come back at some later stage and we'll talk further.
1: We'd, we'd, love to, uh, we'd love to reach Richard. And can I just say what a fascinating and amazing concept this is. I, I, I really kind of um, connect with your idea of getting to better together. Um, that idea that there, there, there isn't a perfect there isn't an ideal no. that we, we, we shouldn't be attaining trying to attain an ideal we should be looking to be better into, I really like that concept and I think this is a fantastic podcast so thank you very much for thank
0: you let just me just end on that note that you just raised the, the thing that I, I heard a nine-year-old child the other day saying if there is nothing perfect why is there a word for it <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you with that thought and to you all for listening thank you so much and I look forward to the next time with you. until then goodbye